0: Well, um, there, there's one passage, there's one part in um, we didn't read from Second Corinthians, but we'll be looking at some verses, so that will count as our reading from the from the apostolic scriptures. But there's one place in here where he talks about them being quote outside themselves, which is the Greek way of saying crazy. So <laughs> I, I thought I would lead you, I would read you a, a little uh, psychiatric uh, hotline list. So here here's some different things on a psychiatric hotline. Hello, welcome to the psychiatric hotline. If you are obsessive compulsive, press one repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone to press two for you. If you have multiple personalities, please press three, four, five, and six. If you are paranoid delusional, we know who you are and what you want. Just stay on the line while we trace your call. If you're schizophrenic, listen carefully, and a little voice will tell you which number to press. If you're manic depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press; no one will answer anyway. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed reading those. I've be, I've struggled with depression at times in my life, so it's not like I'm laughing at any group of people. More like we get something we can all I can I, I get a kick out of. So let's look at, let's look at uh, Second Corinthians together first. I've just really enjoyed. Studying through the the letters of the Apostle Paul, Messiah's emissary Shaul, I just I love his heartbeat. He was uh, he was the one sent from Messiah to the to the Gentiles to the non-Jewish world, right? So if we are a movement of people coming from a Gentile background and we're rediscovering the covenants of God and, you know, the Old Testament is coming alive for us and we're re-examining some of its relevance, then the Apostle Paul is critical to listen to, right? He's someone to be taken seriously. And um, so I, I've just really enjoyed going through him. Uh, let's, just, let's just look at a couple of verses. These are the ones that really spoke to me and I had some thoughts on them. Uh, I'm sure If you have any thoughts too, feel free to share them. Uh, this can be... A Something of a discussion Th- This one really hit me In Second f- Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and, and in the verse before it He talks about like If, if the gospel's veiled It's veiled to those who are lost yeah. In whose ca- case the God of this world Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving So that they might not see the light Of the gospel of the glory of Messiah Who is the image of God And uh, Genevieve and I have a hit list, right? Like we have a hit list of people that we pray for every day that they'll come to salvation. That that the Father will just come through and save them and bring them into the kingdom and raise them up as disciples. And um, they're like, uh, they're in our our sights, right? And so I'm always like asking, Father, how can we most effectively pray for people to come into your kingdom? Because it says things in the scriptures like, God isn't willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to the knowledge of the truth. So if he doesn't want people to be lost, if he wants everybody to come to know the truth, like, why isn't it happening, eh? And maybe, maybe, maybe one of the reasons is because we are not moving in the authority that he's given us to pray for, for people, uh, for family members, for, for uh, general areas. Uh, maybe that's one of the reasons. So th- this is an area we've been discussing on an ongoing level, how to pray for people. And this just seems like a really good one here. It's like he, he, he hits the nail on the head. He says, okay, so like if someone doesn't believe, it's because they're blind. And specifically, it's because there is some other God that has blinded them. One of the many, uh, many, many gods or maybe sources of satisfaction or things that people live for that, that's blinding them to seeing the light of the Gospel, which is like the glory of Messiah. And I don't know, have you ever noticed, like, uh, to some people, Jesus is just not a very impressive guy. I mean, maybe he was a good teacher, or, uh, you know, maybe he was uh, someone who had some good things to say, but, you know, people just are not, like, impacted by the glory of Messiah. And uh, it's, um, I, I think there's an agenda. Not, not that any person has, but maybe that the dark side has, to, like, diminish the glory of Messiah, um, to, to, to lessen his role So that he's, uh, people don't have that same awe of him hey? And I even see that in the, in the Messianic community sometimes People talk more about what Yeshua isn't And try and put him in a box Instead of, like, instead of letting the Holy Spirit exalt Yeshua through, through us So maybe that's one thing That we can be praying for people on our hit lists Praying that You know, those false gods will be shown up for what they are. uh, Praying that people who are blind spiritually, that God will open their eyes and that they'll see the light of the gospel. Mm -hmm. It seems to be uh, Paul's analysis there. I just I love it that Messiah has glory. Like, He is glorious, eh? When we see Him for who He really is, like, it floors us. I I was really blown away with that. Uh, The book of Revelation, chapter 1. Like, when Yeshua actually shows up and reveals Himself to John... Like John is, he just hits the ground. He's on his face. You know, he is, he is overwhelmed by the glory of Yeshua. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope that isn't just for really special, like ultra spiritual people. Maybe people who write the Bible. Like I, I hope that we can all have that relationship with Yeshua. You know, where we can, where we can just be like floored by his glory. I, I want that. I really do. And I want that for, for my friends and, and people that I'm praying for too. So that hit me. Um, I think it's. I think it's cool that we're. We're more than we re- like. We're 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 not people with a religion, right? I mean, uh, who was it? I think it was Martin Luther who said that like the human nature is to have a religion. Like people are naturally religious. Almost all of us have a religion of some kind, right? Um, if it isn't quote a religion. Maybe it's atheism is our religion. Or maybe we have a cause that is our religion. Maybe it's even a good cause. Maybe it's environmentalism or or whatever. You name it, eh? But I mean, really, almost all of us... May, maybe it's uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders or Tim Hortons. I mean, uh, you know, that kind of borders on my religion sometimes. No, I'm just just joking. but 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 like... I I don't know, I've been thinking I've just been thinking it is cool that I mean everybody says, Okay, you know, I'm not religious, I'm I'm spiritual, right? And I have been thinking about that though lately. Like, what is my spirituality all about? What does that look like? And you know, it's it's cool to to discover that. Like I feel like I'm still totally discovering that. So like what was the spirituality of my Master Yeshua. What was the spirituality of, of Paul? Like, what did that look like in his life? How did, he, how did he think and stuff? So I've really been enjoying studying through his epistles and getting these like, inner glimpses into one of the sages of the early Yeshua movement. Like, Paul was a spiritual giant, you know? And I thought this was kind of interesting. He, um, he talks about like this death-life thing in Second um, Corinthians 4, verse 10. He talks about... Like in verse yeah ten eleven and twelve he talks about experiencing death so that Yeshua's life can happen. Like in verse twelve he says so death works in us but life in you. So like not just them experiencing death but seeing Yeshua's life in them, but like life in the people around them. And I just, I wonder what he's talking about because obviously he isn't talking about physically dying because it's not like he was physically dying. Um, I I wonder if he wasn't talking about like. You know, when something inside us dies, when God, like, kind of gives us a humility face plant mm. like He does, like, you know, that I was experiencing when I was sick uh, two weeks ago, um, I don't know, I felt like something in me died, right? Something in me was dying. And it was really unpleasant. I mean, no one likes to spend a lot of quality time over the toilet bowl, right? <laughs> but, like, but, you know, it's just, but it's humbling, and something of like the old me, or maybe if I have pride, it's just it's going down the toilet, you know what I'm saying? And and I'm just thinking from my own frame of reference and I can see how God takes us into situations that is designed to kill something inside of us, you know, to kill my pride, to kill the the self life in me, to, to kill the way I would I would be like a Jacob and try and connive my way out of a situation or figure it out myself, you know, instead of just trusting in him and and seeing what he wants to do. So I, I, I can see how like, maybe that's a process that he takes each one of us through in our spiritual lives. And maybe it happens our whole lives. You know, you hit death in some area. And you're like, oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, where is he? He's so far away. Or like, well, I mean, why isn't he answering my prayers? And you know, we, we get mad at him or we get depressed or all of our different reactions. But maybe maybe that's a time to be encouraged. Like maybe that's maybe that's a time to say, yes, he's killing something inside me so Yeshua can live in me. You know, so Yeshua's life can come through me to the world around me. I don't know, maybe that would be the the positive outlook, you know? Which of course we never think about when we're actually going through it. But yeah, that's a thought. And then and then looking on in the next verse. This is cool too, because like, I don't know, we were, th- we, were talk- we were praying about faith this morning and the gift of faith, eh? I feel like maybe something that was, that's something he was saying to me, maybe to us in general. But he says, so having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. And that hit me. Like, that's what faith is. Like, what does it say? You can't come to God without faith. Y- you can't bring Him any pleasure or please Him without faith. Um... We, we win this thing only through faith. You know, the whole overcoming, mm-hmm. the, only over, the whole overcoming theme. So, I mean, faith is where it's at, you know. But this is cool, because it says what faith is. It's, faith isn't like trying to think a certain way. Faith isn't um, making yourself say certain things. Faith isn't a creed or rhetoric. According to this verse, verse like, faith is God's spirit, like he says, it's a spirit, right? And I mean, there are evil spirits in, in this world, right? Like evil spirits can access a person and say all kinds of ugly things through a person's mouth or make them do bizarre things like murdering, but that, those are evil spirits. But what does it look like when the Spirit of God enters us and the Spirit of God moves through us? Like maybe according to Paul, it's like that's massive faith right there, eh? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking if, there, if we have like, I think this is an area where Satan really tries to take us out. I mean, seriously, my faith takes hits like you wouldn't believe. You know, I, I see the evil in the world. I think about people who are, like, abused or mistreated. And I just, I just get mad at God. And, I, and my first response is like, I don't even want to believe in you. How could a good God create evil, right? And I mean, you know, those are things that... You've, you, I'm sure you've heard that spiel. But it's something that sometimes will hit me and I'll wrestle with it. And, and it's my faith. It's coming under fire, hey? My faith in Him is being attacked. And I just... And maybe we have friends who are are there or who, you know, we're all going to have people in our lives, people in our families who are going to have faith crises. And maybe this is a key to remember. It's not about getting someone to think a certain way or talk a certain way. It's about the spirit that influences a person. So, you know, if you're ever like, if your faith's under fire, if your buddy's faith is under fire, maybe we can pray, God, I pray that your spirit would come on that person. I pray that you'd fill that person with your spirit because your spirit's a spirit of faith. Oh, maybe that's the core of the matter, eh? And I, I wonder if this is not an area where the Word of Faith movement has the cart before the horse. Uh, often in the Word of Faith movement, it's your speech that's really emphasized, right? You, you talk faith, and then you'll have faith. So make sure you talk it. But, but you know, according to this verse, the, the, um, the priority is connecting with His Spirit and being filled with His Spirit. And when we're, like, when we're, when we're experiencing that, then of course you're going to talk it because it's what's inside of your heart. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So that's something for contemplation. Yeah. Here's a, And then in a 5.13, I like this. He says, So, um... Okay, the NASB says, For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're of sound mind... It's for you. How, how do how do your versions render that? If we are insane, insane. It for sake, it's, for are sane, it's for God's sake. If it's sane, it's for your sake. Any other different translations of that? If we're out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right minds, for you. Okay. If we're out of our minds, it's for God's sake. Yeah, so I checked out the Greek word, it's exostemi, and it literally means outside of yourself. And uh, I guess it has the picture of like, someone who is outside of themselves, like with the connotation of being crazy, or mad, or wild, or insane. Uh, these are some of the different words and some of the different translations that I've, I've encountered. And uh, this would be a great verse to take out of, out of context, and, uh, and justify a lot of really crazy behavior with, Hey, well, I'm crazy for God. But, uh, but it is kind of interesting, like, what was it about the Corinthians that made them think that, like, Paul was a little crazy? Like, there was something about Paul, he was a bit of a madman. Because according to Paul, like, that's the way they saw him, hey? I don't know, sometimes he came across like that. What was it? It doesn't really say, I just, Paul must have been really passionate for Messiah, though. Like, he must have really had a fire burning in him that sometimes made him come across like he was a little crazy. Like, he was a bit of a madman, eh? And, um, I don't know, I mean, really, I'm sure the world would look at every single one of us in this room simply because we believe in the Bible and would, would categorize us as that, eh? So, I mean, like like it or not, you are a little crazy, according to the the, quote, norm, according to a secular paradigm. But, I just, I like that. You know, it's like... Paul was very intelligent. He was extremely well-educated. Um, I mean, even like his literary style, he writes phenomenally well. And yet, you know, there's this crazy side he to him too. He was a at heart. Yeah, he was a zealot at heart. And of course, then in the second half of the verse, he says, but you know, if we're sane, it's for you. So I just, I, I see how like there's a place for, in, in holy parameters, being wild for God. Like really being crazy for Messiah, like being a madman for Messiah. But at the same time also like knowing how to conduct yourself in the world, knowing how to relate on a level that isn't going to turn people off, not being dumb, you know, there's a a difference. And, you know, we talked about that a couple of Shabbats ago. Paul talked about tongues and he said, Okay, guys, there's a way to do the tongues gift and there's a way not to. If someone walks into your assembly and you're all praying at the top of your lungs and tongues and no one's interpreting, they're going to think you're crazy. And in that, in that context, that wasn't a good thing, right? Paul cared about things like this. So it's just, uh, I, I appreciate that element to the movement that we are a part of. Like some of the greatest heroes in our faith were madmen for Messiah. They did crazy stuff for God. But it was good. You know, I like that about discipleship. Yeah. And you know, we can also be solid and we can be intelligent in communicating with people around us in the world in general. Oh, don't worry, I'm not going to start doing anything particularly wild any more than I already do. Mm-hmm. I'm already Dave's favorite religious extremist. But yep. well, that's like um, that was like the birthday greeting you gave me on Facebook, yeah. I think, yeah. right? My favorite religious extremist. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's too late for me. I'm a goner, right? I'm already a religious extremist. Dave knows it. I'm a little outside, uh, out of my mind. But yeah. <laughs> Oh absolutely, I took it in a good way That's a compliment You know, I was, um, someone, I, was I was relaying to someone a couple of weeks ago Like the contents of the Hebrew course That we have coming out And the person was like S- Basically you're like a walking lexicon Like you have all that You're just walking around with all that stuff in your head I was like, wow, that was a really nice compliment That person just called me a walking lexicon right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's all How you take it I guess <laughs> Um yeah, so here, here's, here's another theme in this letter that was, that was meaningful. Like, uh, check out Second f- um, Corinthians 4.18. He's like talking about, he says, um, I'll read verse 17 too. For momentary light affliction, in other words pain and humbling stuff, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which aren't seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which aren't seen are eternal. I oh, know I can almost imagine like someone wandering around and wandering into traffic and almost getting hit and like I don't know like smacking themselves into doors because they're so busy looking at stuff that isn't seen, you know? It's like focusing on the invisible. I don't, that's like one of the first things that comes to mind, but I am sure that isn't what, he, what he's talking about here. Just like think think about reality in general for a second. Um, like uh, I have a body. I assume we all have bodies unless you're like an alien and you're just posing or something. So like we all have bodies and it's through our bodies that we interface with the physical dimensions, right? Like space and time. There's material in the space-time dimensions and that's how we... And you know, so I mean if I want to like catch up with Pete I'll like look at him through my body and talk to him through my body and then he'll do the same on his side, right? But there's more to us than we're not just like chunks of meat walking around you know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're, we're spirits, we have, we have spirits and uh, there's a spiritual dimension it's like the fifth dimension, you know it's a higher dimension it's outside of space and time and there's something inside each one of us that is from that dimension there's something inside each of us that exists in that dimension and, and, and it's called your spirit, and that's how you interface with God. That's how you know Yeshua, right? It's not like some abstract thing. It's uh, it's more concrete than physical reality. It's just some of us are so unplugged from the spiritual dimension, and the culture we live in is so focused on making sure that we don't clue into the. Fa- uh, actually, I'll I'll, pre- I'll 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 qualify that. Like the, the culture we live in, to a degree, is focused on. You know, maybe so, like trying to get us, program us to not connect with the spiritual dimension. But when I think about that, I think of Harry Potter and a lot of the movies out there, and I think that's not true. Actually, in our culture, they, there is a real agenda to teach people how to connect with the spiritual dimension, but through the dark side, and, and the dark side is very real. And there are powers that people can have that where you can leave your body, where you can do all sorts of crazy things, right? So, um, so that's there, but I just. I'm thinking about this. So what, like, what does that look like on, um, on a really concrete level? Like looking at stuff that you can't see. Focusing on the invisible. Like, okay, you know how we live in our bodies and we, like I just said, you know, you see through your body. What if you can do that through your spirit too? What if your spirit actually has sight? Can your spirit be blind? Is it possible to see the glory of God through your spirit? Well, absolutely. That's how it happens, right? Is it possible to, just like you have physical sight through which you, you know, um, sound waves register in your eardrums and you interpret them because they happen in a certain pattern that actually means something to you, uh, could it be that we hear the voice of Messiah in, through our spirits? I think so. Uh, like, okay, you know how for us, It's like often the physical realm is so real and so tangible and we're really wrapped up in it. But the spiritual dimension is really cloudy and far away. You know, for me that's often how it is. Like sometimes I'll just be feeling brutal, my family life will be a mess. And I'll just be like, man, this is a really bad day. And then suddenly I'm like, ding, 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 you know what? I think we might be under spiritual attack. I think there might be something going on in the spiritual dimension. Like, that's me. I'll, like, and it'll be like this really faint thing. But I'll be like, you know what? I think maybe that's what's going on here. And so we'll stop and we'll pray and we'll resist the devil. And think, it'll get brighter. I can feel it. And things will begin to turn around, you know? And kind of shalom will come back and stuff. And um, so that's me. Like, I don't feel like I'm often a very spiritually cognizant person. Some of, you, some of you in this room are more spiritual. Like you're just in tune and you just feel things that are happening or whatever and it's really cool. And, and I appreciate that. I'm sometimes not like that. But like, what would it be like to be to the point where it's the opposite? Where the spiritual world is more real to you than the physical? I don't mean like floating around and being really weird and stuff, right? I just mean like, what, what if you could be so in tune with the spiritual world and the glory of Messiah, like the overwhelming glory of Messiah, that that was your that was your like the overtones of your your day you know and the physical stuff was happening and you're moving around in the physical world and doing business and making phone calls and driving and doing whatever you do but that's like but that isn't the ultimate reality i just i wonder if maybe that's what paul's talking about i just feel like paul lived on a level that i don't touch on very often you know so i just i wonder what what that looks like for us in our spirituality like to just live life where our primary focus is on the ultimate spiritual realities. We're like, are, we as spirits are, are like tight with God, and we're, we're staying in rapport with Him, and we're in communication with Him throughout the day, and we're also moving around in the world through our earth suits. Wow, so maybe Paul all w- wasn't always so in touch with the spiritual dimension. Maybe you could call it the fifth dimension. Yeah. Hey? He's pretty big on himself. Yeah. easy to fall into that. And just to be a Pharisee and be like, yes, you know, I'm cutting edge. I know the whole Torah by memory, and you know, and then to re- and I can I can see, and then to realize, wow, I was actually being totally blind to Yeshua. Yeah. Man. Too much. Shut the spirit. But something else I get out of this is like we're part of a movement of a movement of people who are returning to God's Torah we're rediscovering how it applies to our life, right? I mean, hey, we're, we're celebrating Shabbat as an example. And here, here's, here's a danger for all of us. Our, the danger is to be like Paul, before he met Messiah, where we think, you know, we have the Torah, we're doing the Torah, and that's it. You know, we're doing these physical things in the space-time dimension. I, you know, I got my tzitzit on, and I'm putting on the brakes for 24 hours for Shabbat, and, and that's where it's at. And to forget about that our primary focus I mean, there's value in that and it's important. It's the love language of God doing His commandments. But to forget that, like, there's something greater. There's like, what does it look like to focus on the invisible? To, to be seeing the things that you can't see with your eye, eh? mm-hmm. There's that aspect too. So it's not, what well, it would be an example? When I put on my tzitzit in the morning, not just to put them on and do it as a physical activity, but to look at what it represents in the spiritual world, you know, to kind of look, be, look beyond the physical into the spiritual. And see how it points to Messiah or something. Maybe that would be an example in my life. I always use the strings as an example, don't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just because they're right here. It's such a such an easy thing to to think about. Um, here, here, here's another here's another verse along those lines in uh, five twelve. Five twelve. He says, "We are not again commending ourselves to you." but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So, according to Sha'ul, you can either take pride primarily in appearance, in external appearances. Maybe that would involve a person's physical level of Torah observance and things like that. Or you can primarily take pride in the heart. I just I wonder what that looks like. Again, I feel like this could be like an area where there's a danger zone for us, you know. It's easy if you do Torah to just begin to focus more on the minutia of Torah and take pride in the fact that you do some stuff that a lot of other Christians aren't doing. What would that be? That would be taking pride in appearances. But according to Paul, like the challenge is to take pride in heart in the heart. Because God looks at a person's heart. He looks at like the inside that we can't see. Yeah. So that, that that that's a challenge to me too. You know, and I, I mean, you know, I I'm pretty connected with the messianic world. I I see all kinds of interesting conversations about Torah stuff on Facebook. Some of it's a little weird, some of it's entertaining, some of it's uh, some of it's actually edifying. But um I, I just wonder if maybe this isn't an area where we have some room to grow. Like focusing on the heart. Um, what does the heart entail? The heart entails like who you are as a person, right? It's possible to do Torah and be really impersonal about it and forget the whole personal aspect and the love thing, you know? Um, the heart means attitude. Sometimes, sometimes I, I see people really emphasizing maybe saying the name of God in the correct way or avoiding certain, so w- certain words or, um, doing certain commandments a certain way. And it's like, it's, it's their obsession to the point where we never talk about attitude. Or what would be another example? Okay, some people respectfully abstain from Christmas, right? There's a way to do that with a good attitude. There's also a way to do, do that with a really ugly attitude. Maybe that would be another example of like taking pride in, in the heart. You know, our, our attitudes. A- another example is character. You know, do we focus more on our external observance or have we forgotten about character and the fruit of the Spirit? And uh, this is just this is an area where the Father is challenging me, right? So... Maybe it applies to us as a broader community sometimes or as a movement. Yeah. Here's one more verse along those lines. I feel like it's a theme in this reading. Uh, 5.16. Paul says, Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. So, um, Paul uses this idiom a lot According to the flesh What does according to the flesh mean? Because nobody in the western world uses this term It's not a part of our normal English, right? What does according to the flesh mean? From worldly viewpoint in my world, From worldly viewpoint? Mm-hmm. Outer appearances Outer appearances Flesh is like uh, interchangeable with the physical body, right? Mm-hmm. So it means like um, something on the physical level Titles um, Yeah, titles, sure so you could say, like, we don't recognize people according to physical criteria. Is probably how I would understand that in a meaningful way. And um, yeah, we uh, yeah we do that all the time in in the religious world and in the secular world. You know, we we measure people by their money, by their academic credentials, by titles, by by uh, their looks, by how they dress. But Paul says, no, that's not how we look at each other. We recognize each other. We look at each other in the spirit. Maybe that's another example. Like, okay, I can look at you through my physical eyes, but that's not the real you. I'm not going to really see you until I look at you through the eyes of my heart. Like my spiritual side, eh? And then I see the image of God. Then I see a person that Yeshua loves and died for. And it all of a sudden is really hard to be critical of you because I'm just overwhelmed by the love of Messiah for you. You know what I mean? Maybe that would be an example. I think it was G.K. Chesterton said that Adam and Eve were statues walking in the garden. You just like Adam and Eve were living statues of God. They were they were created in His image, eh? Yeah. And uh, man, just think about that next time someone cuts you off in traffic. Mm-hmm. The person in that the person sitting in that seat, that person is like a, a walking statue of God. That person is in His image, eh? Yeah. Maybe like be a little a uh, little less likely to. Ream the person out. I don't know, do any of you guys, like, talk to other people uh, driving in other vehicles in traffic? <laughs> oh, I totally do. I mean, it, it's easier when you're single and you're commuting on the deer foot in Calgary, say, right? And you're all by yourself in your truck and someone cuts you off and you give them an earful, right? Not that they can hear you. But, like, I don't know, when you get married, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I talk to people in other vehicles a lot. And all of a sudden you get a little self-conscious. It's like, I think I need to tone this down sometime, <laughs> but... Anyway, I've kind of, I've, I've really been kind of growing in that area. Hey, Genevieve. Yes. I don't talk yeah. to pe- other people in other vehicles as much. Yeah. Or Genevieve embarrassed to you enough times? <laughs> or used you to talk to me. Yeah. I just talk to you now, right? <laughs> but here, here's, here's another thought about this. Like, so Paul says, you know what? We, we knew Yeshua in the physical dimension at one time. Quote according to the flesh, but now we don't know him like that anymore. And uh, I, I don't know about you But like the, the, the whole restoration thing That we're a part of Has been really meaningful to me In terms of my personal relationship with Yeshua Like For me it all started with I want to know you better And realizing that Yeshua Was an observant Jew Realizing that he went to the synagogue Every Saturday of his life Not because he had to Because he, he loved it Because that's who he was you know, reading from the Torah, because that was his heart. Re- realizing, like, man, my Savior had a beard. He had, like, tough hands and probably had pretty brawny arms, because he was a he was a carpenter. Um, realizing that my Savior wore tzitzit. Man, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, I just felt like I got to know him so much better. It just, it came alive for me, hey? And, and, and that's still very true. And so, like, I love the Jewishness of Yeshua. I love... Reading about him in his Torah context, right? But that can be a danger too. Um, what would be an example? There, there is the historical Jesus movement, right? It's uh, it's one of the top trends in the academic world. The New York Times listed the top trends in the academic world. And the historical Jesus is one of the top ones. You know, people are realizing there was a historical figure named Jesus. He was, he was not an anarchistic... Person who came to start a new Gentile religion He was actually a very traditional Jew He, he lived his whole life In the parameters of Judaism um, When he criticized the Pharisees It wasn't because they had everything wrong It's because they were They were doing a lot of stuff right And he was coming at it from the inside You know And um, so there, there, there's that trend in the academic world There's that trend in, in the Christian world It's a beautiful thing I think it's a good thing But um it can go sour. For instance, the Jesus Seminar. You know, you have, you have dozens of top scholars who are putting their heads together in a quest to discover the historical Jesus, but in the process, they're stripping Him of His glory. And they're removing, and they're cutting the, the supernatural element out of the Gospels. And you know what? We don't go that far, but it's possible to do that. You know, for, for some people, Orthodox Judaism is their primary point of reference. You know, it's all about um, how does Orthodox Judaism do it? How does Orthodox Judaism see this issue? How would Orthodox Judaism look at this thing in the Gospels? And I mean, I value that. There's a place for, for understanding that perspective. But sometimes we focus on that so much that we forget about the Spirit of God. We lose touch with the power of God. It's like we begin to gloss over the supernatural element on almost every page of the Gospel. And that's a mistake. You know, we end up... Really in touch with the side of our master that it, where he's 100 percent human, where he he has a beard, where he wears tzitzit, etc. You know, we're really in touch with that, but we're not so in touch with the side of the master where he's glorified, where he sits at the right hand of God, where he calls the shots in the universe, where his eyes are like like plasma torches, you know, like or like uh, a blowtorch, you know, like that intense roaring fire. Where like I don't know, it says he's like. Molten lava. I don't know, like, you know, those are the descriptions of him in Reve- the book of Revelation. Like, all the hosts of heaven fall at his feet and at the feet of his father and worship him. That's what it says in Revelation. Like, the Lamb, he's right there on the throne with God and he's getting worship. And you know what? Sometimes we lose touch with that side of Yeshua. And heaven forbid, may that never happen. Right? So, anyway, that that's another area where I'm just. That's, this is another part of my journey, right? Where I want, I want both sides. I want to know the, our whole Savior. Yeah. So, just, you know, if you have any thoughts or whatever, just definitely put up your hand or, or, or contribute. <clears throat> Here, here's another verse. Um, you know how I've been talking on an ongoing verse uh, basis about how our objective is to believe all the verses. Often we'll have an emphasis or we'll have a pet doctrine or we'll have something and we'll, like, focus on that and that and that and that's the only nail we'll hit, and we'll ignore like the other half of the Bible. Or maybe our, maybe our theology won't factor in all the verses. And then someone will confront us with some verses that totally don't fit our theology. And instead of changing our theology, we'll just ignore that part of the Bible. Or we'll ignore those historical sources or that part of history. Um, you know, I, I encounter people who do that on a regular basis. And I'm sure I do that too. It's human nature. But um, here's, here's an interesting verse. Maybe I just wonder if this fits our theology sometimes. In um, Second Corinthians 5:10, so Paul says, um, "We, we plural, speaking of like him and that Messianic community, must all, everybody say all, all, appear before the judgment seat of Messiah. Why? So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, uh, that could be like the fear of the Master, referring to Yeshua, the fear of Yahweh is in God, God Himself, but anyway, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So, get that. According to Paul, like each one of us in this room, we are going to have an appointment where we stand before the heavenly tribunal of Messiah. And everything we've done this this is how I understand it. Like he's going to evaluate our lives. He is going to judge me and he's going to judge you in the sense of evaluating. He's going to review our deeds, says they're all written down. He's going to examine our actions and then he's going to reward us accordingly. And how does atonement fit into this? How I understand it is he has atoned for our sins and we are forgiven to the degree that we repent of our sins and structure our lives according to his will we're in big trouble for the areas where we don't repent, where we know we should. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what does it say in Hebrews? Like, if someone comes to the knowledge of the truth in Hebrews 10, mm-hmm. and and then we go on sinning willfully, yeah. like, you are in really big trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? So, and, and he says, So therefore, knowing the fear of God. So I just, um, what, what does that mean? So it means like, there's a place where he, grace doesn't mean we can be sloppy and get away with stuff. It, it, it says, like, we can't take advantage of Yeshua's atonement because it just doesn't work that way. He will not be used. Um, what else does it say? I, 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 I see it being like, you know, maybe he, God's not going to condemn you to hell because you had sin in your life, but you are not going to be graded very highly. Or be rewarded very much for your good deeds. And you know what? Genevieve and I were talking about that on the way back. Like, okay, there's a place where ambition is a very unhealthy thing, right? It, it can be the result of many, uh, many psychological problems. It can be uh, the uh, result of pride. But there's also an ambition that's a good ambition and a healthy ambition. And, um, for instance, it's good to be ambitious to please the Master, what would be some other examples? Uh, Yeshua said in Matthew 5, He talked about people who are great in the kingdom. It, you should be ambitious to be great in the kingdom. God wants you to be great in His kingdom. Right? But there's a way to get there. And that way is the way of humility, and humble service, and doing the mitzvot, according to Yeshua in Matthew 5. So, um, there's like this place where, you know what? It's, it, you should want a big reward you should do all the good stuff that you can knowing that he is going to write you a really big fat paycheck with a huge bonus for it on payday mm-hmm. on the ultimate payday you know what i'm saying and like that, that's a good thing uh, that, that's what i catch there and the other side of it like it's something to really kind of freak us out and to be afraid of you know and and then and then how does he conclude he concludes like the the result of understanding this is like we persuade people you know when you really believe that It kind of It really kind of Kicks you out of your comfort zone and gets you out of your blocks You end up maybe talking to people about Matters of truth That you otherwise wouldn't I don't know That's an area that I still have to go in. But here, here's, a, here's something cool About I'll give you like the Jewish context of this verse Um Okay you know how We're not We, we usually have like our reading lectern Or pulpit Um do you know what we, do you remember what we all often call that? In the Jewish world it's called a bima, B-E-M-A. Kind of like really fancy car, you know, uh, a bima. And um, that's like, that's just, that's what it's called in the Jewish world, right? It was interesting, um, when Dan Strauman uh, first heard us call, heard me call the, the reading lectern the bima, he said, oh, that's a Greek term, that's interesting, and uh, actually, it is a Greek term, and it's all through the. It's in quite a few places in the New Testament. Like when Paul, uh, when Pilate went out to pronounce sentence on the Master, he did that from the bema. Um, several times in the Book of Acts, where there was a court scenario, and someone like sat down to judge a case, um, they sat down at the bema. And the term here, in Greek, for the judgment seat of Messiah is guess what, Bima, That's right. It's the Greek term. Um, 968 in the Strongs. Uh, Strong says uh, it's a step, by implication, a rostrum, a tribunal, or a throne. So that gives us a bigger picture of this thing. It's like the judgment seat is like the, the rostrum, the tribunal, the throne of Mashiach. And every week we go up to, be, to the Bema to read from the Torah. Maybe that gives us an understanding of this thing too. You can just imagine, like, uh, let's say that you know the master standing there at the ultimate Bhima on the on Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. and each of us, you know, we have our time when we come before the Bhima, and what's sitting open on the Bhima, The holy scriptures, which includes the Torah, right? They're synonymous terms, and it's just you get this impression that he will measure our lives according to the word of God. He, the, the Torah will be that which. We are evaluated in the light of how, how how well did you believe the Bible? How well did you do the Bible? Is kind of what I get out of that, eh? So maybe that come, makes it kind of come alive for us more. That's the picture that we can get we can get of that. In my heart, like the overtones of His love and His grace and His mercy. That's what those are the overtones, right? Like when I'm look, talking about this judgment thing and how He's going to evaluate us. I just, I, I, I'm emphasizing that right now because I feel like that's the side of the equation the equation that we often gloss over or forget about Like we, in, the, in the Christian community today we often don't talk much about the fact that each one of us are going to be judged by God you know, we, we, we I mean, for good reason sometimes I mean, we've all encountered religious or judgmental people and it's like, I do not want to be that, right? so let's just avoid the whole judgment thing but there's just, I, I can see how there's a place for it there's a place for it yeah, when it's when it's balanced by His grace, mm-hmm. and, and and His love, and the atonement of Yeshua, and, and His overwhelming forgiveness, right? It says like He'll be saved, but as to mm-hmm. fire and His works, if they were all chaffy and garbage, are going to be burned up, yeah. eh? Yeah. Wow, chaff burns pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it burned one of our farm trucks. I'll, I'll tell you a little story about that just because it's fun. Um, so my uncle took my grandpa's new Ford F-150 out in the field to burn chaff and it was a windy day and he lit the chaff one went into the field and then drove downwind through the field to light, light, up, the, you know, light up the stubble in different areas and he got the truck stuck in the mud and the wind kept driving the fire further through the field and he kept trying to get the truck out until he just right down to the axles in the mud and he kept trying to get it out until the fire came right up to the truck. And then he had to jump out and run through it to get out. And then the truck blew up. And I remember seeing that when I was a little boy. Like, totally burnt out, blew up truck. It was, it was one of those moments when, like, as a little boy, I was like, Wow, I've never seen a vehicle like that, you know? So anyway, chaff does burn really good. Here, here's something else interesting. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul like gives his his, apo- his his resume as an apostle, eh? uh, we were talking a couple of Shabbat's ago about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how Paul says, Okay, so in the congregation, like first are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, and how in the messianic community often we are a teacher-oriented movement. It's mostly about teaching, and uh, this whole like apostle or prophet thing, like it just doesn't sometimes fit. We don't really understand how this thing works or like who's who's an apostle type, who's a prophet type. Sometimes there's all of this You know, a lot of us have baggage with those terms. We've seen abuses, or we've seen charlatans, or uh, like... Glitz and glamour and the spe- all the hype and stuff, right? But but you know, like I, I want to keep, I want to stay on this theme because it's something that I, I feel we want to we want to understand. So anyway, like I have seen, I don't know. Sometimes I've like I've I've seen people who claim to be apostles. You know, you read their website and they have like this really glitzy resume, right, with all the keywords and it's really really um, impressive, right? And this person has like all these degrees and all of this uh, these years of schooling from all these places. And I'm not bashing that because there's a place for education but I just think it's interesting to read Paul's apostolic resume in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In in verse 3 he says, Giving cause for no offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. So did you notice that he says, um, commending ourselves. This 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 is my recommendation. This is what commends me to you as a genuine apostle. And then he lists some stuff. That I've never seen on an apostolic resume before on some of the, the flashy websites, right? And again, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying I want to I want to see the real apostolic. And Paul definitely modeled that. And then here here's some of the things he talks about: endurance. So this guy endured a lot of a lot of pain uh, in afflictions. Affliction again, it means pain, right? It means going through suffering, in hardships, in hard times. Pain, right? Distresses, right? Stress. So, like, th- these are the first four things on Paul's like apostolic website, right? He's like, I've been through a lot of hard times. I, uh, I, I'm, 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 I face stress, um, pain, a lot of pain, 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 right? Like, you get the idea. Then, then he goes on in beatings. Now, yeah, this is how many times I've been beaten out um, in imprisonments, This is how much time I've done in jail. Um, that, that, that sounds more like something people in Islamic countries or communist countries uh, th- does this sound more like the apostolic resume of believers in like those types of scenarios yeah um, in tumults they, 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 tumults I don't know why they translated it that way do you know what a tumult is a tumult is a riot okay so one of the one of the items on Paul's apostolic resume is these are how many riots I've caused on a civic level Of course he wasn't like, uh, he wasn't an activist, right? He wasn't intentionally going around trying to stir people up. But the fact is like when Paul would come into a city in the power of God and he would speak the word, like the gospel would turn people around. It would begin to turn that city up like right side up. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of like the false God pushers and the people who had investments in the lies that they had propagated over the masses, they began to flip out. And they began to try and kill him. And the whole city would just blow up, hey? Yeah. And so one of the items on Paul's apostolic resume is, yeah, I start riots. <laughs> so maybe we could say like, real apostles should be famous for starting riots. <laughs> I, I'm kind of playing with it, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, inciting real apostles... Inciting Yeah, <laughs> inciting mayhem. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, uh, what I see here is like, when someone is really sent with that power, that person will impact a city, that person will affect the political region of that city. Uh, that person will, like, if there are people with vested interests who are controlling people, maybe if there's a, the, the mob in that city or a mafia, like, that person is going to make some serious trouble like the silver for the merchants. kingdom of God. for the, Yeah, and like the silver merchants and the idol makers, absolutely. So, so starting riots, uh, what else? In labors, so he, was, he, he worked hard. In sleeplessness, so like this guy lost sleep many nights. Uh, In hunger, so this guy didn't even always have enough food on the table. Or maybe he was just a hardcore faster sometimes. In purity, there's one of those character qualities. In knowledge, okay, finally, we hit something that like actually people threw around as impressive, right? Paul did have some info. He was pretty knowledgeable. Okay, Um, what else? Uh, In patience, okay, there's another good one. In kindness. Man, do you you look at those as apostolic hallmarks? Patience. Kindness. When someone claims to be an apostle, look at that person and see: is that person patient with his wife? Is that person kind to his children? Yeah. Those those are the real hallmarks of an apostle. Um, What else? In the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, so not in fake love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, whatever that means, uh, by glory and dishonor. And then he says, you know, so um, I have a bad reputation with some people. Um, I face dishonor. People call me a deceiver. Um, I'm a nobody. I feel like I'm dying. I'm sad, but also rejoicing. I'm poor, but I make many people rich in faith. I have nothing, essentially, but like I have everything. It's kind of like, I'm giving you a paraphrase, right? I just think, wow. Like that, there's something about that that is what a real apostle is about. You know, when someone is sent on a mission from God, maybe some of those things are the hallmarks of an apostle that we should be looking for. Look for those things on, on, uh, on an apostle's resume. Not his business card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I mean, hey, like, you know, Paul was a hero. I, I look up to him. Maybe, those are all, maybe some of those areas are things that we're going to face as, our, as we grow in our discipleship, as we really, like, is we really lock into the mission, you know. So it's things that we can be psychologically prepared for. Mm -hmm. Um, We started like 15 or 20 minutes late. So maybe we can look at the parasha for under 10 minutes. Yeah, we'll put a 10 minute cap on it. Just because there's some really good stuff in this Torah portion. Um, I'll I'll read you one more story before we go there. It's kind of a... It's a good Jewish story. Does anyone know what a Shad Khan is? A shadchan, A Shad Khan is like how many of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Mm-hmm. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. And Hebrew would be like Shad Khan, Shad Khan, make me a Shiduch. Uh a shadchan is like a, someone who um sets up a marriage, right? Or helps helps some um, helps people like find each other, you know, who are gonna be compatible and stuff. It's like the Jewish mm-hmm. Jewish um Form of like an online dating service that helps people connect, maybe. I don't know. Very loosely speaking. So, anyway, Ashad uh, Khan, he corners a, a yeshiva student and says, Listen, I have got the girl for you. He says, I'm not interested. But she's beautiful, says the Ashad Khan. Really? says the young man. Yes, and she is very rich, too. Oh, really? And she has great ancestry. She's from a very fine family. Wow. That sounds great Says the young man But why would a girl like that Want to marry me I mean I'm poor I'm just a yeshiva student I've got a Big fuzzy beard She'd have to be crazy To want to marry me Well Replies the Shad Khan You can't have everything So That's another story About being crazy I guess Okay, let's just like tear through a couple things in this parasha. This is interesting. You you know, we've been talking about how the Torah sometimes uses the term leolam, which means forever. Sometimes it'll say chok olam, which means like a law forever, uh, an eternal, an eternal statute. NASB renders it as a perpetual statute. And that term olam, it's the same word for like eternal life or the eternal God, right? So it means forever to the same degree that God and, uh, and eternal life is forever. Um, it uses this term quite a few times in relation to the Aaronic priesthood and their job description. I'll just, I'll just uh, fire a couple of them off for you. This is more just on the side. 27.21, it says that Aaron and his job of arranging the lamp every morning... Is a law forever for their generations. In twenty-eight forty-three, it says that Aaron's boys wearing the linen shorts is a law forever. Quote for Aaron and his descendants. Yeah. Um, in twenty-nine verse nine, it says that Aaron and his sons have the priesthood as a law forever. In twenty-nine twenty-eight, it says that specific chunks of meat from the ordination ram are Aaron and his sons' portion forever. In 30 verse 8, it says that they are to burn incense, perpetual incense, which means forever, throughout your generations. And in 30 verse 10, he says that Aaron is to atone for the incense altar from the blood of the sin offering once a year, quote, throughout your generations. So I just think it's interesting that God doesn't say the Aaronic priesthood is going to have an expiration date. When he talks about the ironic priesthood and their job description, he continually uses the term forever, leolam. So, I mean, you know, if, if the Jewish people rebuild the temple, they may have biblical basis for doing that. They may have a biblical basis for saying, you know, there's still a place for this in the economy of God. Um, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, the last eight chapters of the book, describe a temple that have never, has never been built. It describes the ironic priesthood doing this stuff in that temple. Um, that's not spiritual. It's an architectural document. It gives a lot of very physical dimensions. When is this going to be? Could it be that that will be during the Messianic era, that that will be during the thousand-year reign of Christ? I, I don't know for sure, but it looks like there could be another temple, and the Aaronic priesthood could be doing their thing. Um, and you know what? There would, there would be some Torah basis for it. And uh, it, th- this might be the context in which to interpret the book of Hebrews. Could be I mean you know Scriptural revelation Builds on scriptural revelation So You know We could maybe Make some conclusions Based on a certain Interpretation of the book Of Hebrews But that conclusion Which is pretty common today Would be ignoring A lot of the verses In the first five books Of the Bible That say some of these things Don't have an expiration date They are they are forever eh? So that's just it's something to consider Something to uh, Kind of keep in mind As we Move into the future As we You know Read some of the prophecies This is kind of cool I'll give you a really I'll give you a really practical thing Like um, I wear tzitzit Right? Fringes One of those things that Like sometimes people Who are really radical for God do Um, (laughs) You know um, They're also on the four corners of a tallit A a garment for prayer And uh, The Hebrew word for the cord of blue In a fringe Is patil techeilet Patil is like a cord Everybody say patil and techelet is this color, right? Everybody say techelet. Yeah. yeah. And actually, the the, uh, the high priest has these things on his special priestly garments. So there's a connection between wearing these things and something about like the priestly job description. In uh, in in um, Exodus 28:28, it says that the ptil techelet, the cord of blue, attaches the rings of the breastpiece, the hoshin, and the ephod. Um, the other thing. It says it securely binds them so that they wouldn't come loose. So there's something about the cord of blue in this that is a picture of that cord of the cord of blue in the priest's special garments that connects two things so they don't come loose. So whatever whatever the patil tochelat and maitsiti represent, it represents like connecting me to God in such a way that I don't come loose from Him, like a really secure connection, right? Um, to use an internet term like having a really secure connection with the Holy One. Being bound to Him. Um, also, it says in 2836, there's the golden plaque on the turban of the High Priest and it says Kodesh to Yahweh. It says Holiness to Yahweh on it. And it says that it's fastened with a patil to with a cord of blue, To the turban. So again, what's the, what's the action word there? Fastened, right? So there's something about if you get out your tali, your prayer garment, and you wrap yourself in that, and you just look at those tzitzit, there's something about that is to remind you about being fastened to God, about being securely connected to Him. That's what these, that's what these mean to me too, right? It's like, uh, on an emotional level, that's what they mean to me. On a psychological level, that's what they symbolize to me, um, when I, when I wear tzitzit. Yeah let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this By looking for a second At the anointing And the glory of God In this parasha um, In quite a few verses in here I'm not going to list them all It talks about Aaron's boys being ordained To do their job as priests And the Hebrew word Being ordained Is very meaningful It's a physical action it's like, um, oh, I wish I had my tool belt here. If like, if I were to, um, Dave, what's the tool you use really often in your shop? A um, body hammer. A body hammer? Okay, perfect, perfect. So let's say you're standing there and God is like, Moses, I want you to ordain Dave to um, work on vehicles and to fix them and make them beautiful again. And do artistic work with metal. I want you to ordain him to do that. The Hebrew word is to fill his hands. So, like in Hebrew, the idea of you being ordained to do that would be, I'm going to fill your hands. What does that mean? I'm going to put the tools in your hands that you need to do the job. That's what it means to be ordained, right? So, um, it's kind of the idea of equipping, right? Giving someone the tools they need to do their job, to accomplish their mission. Um... Sometimes it actually doesn't even use the word hands, it just says to fill them. So the idea of a priest being f- ordained means to be filled. So let me ask you, if we're called as God's priests to bring life to a dead world, to, to shine His light and bring people to life with the love of the Messiah, bring healing, all of this stuff that Yeshua sent us to do, that's, like priestly, that's a priestly job, right? How is, he get, how is the rubber going to meet the road? When is that really going to happen? How is He going to ordain you? By filling you. With what? Spirit. With the Spirit. Is that true? If you're not full of the Spirit, can you do the stuff? No. But when He fills you with the Spirit, you just naturally start doing this stuff. Yeah. So that's our practical application on that one. The other thing He says is anoint the sanctuary to set it apart. So what is it that sets something or sets somebody apart? The anointing. The anointing means the Holy Spirit, right? Like when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when He moves through you, when He just empowers you to, to do something. Maybe some of you experience that. You know, when He just prompts you to say something, or, or, or whatever. There's so many experiences. So, what that teaches us is like, He sets each one of us apart for a mission, and He sets us as a community apart to accomplish our mission with the anointing of His Spirit. Yeah. And um, then in 29.43, he says, The sanctuary will be set apart by my glory. So, what is it that set apart the sanctuary? Was it like all the gold? Or like some really nice tapestry? It was his glory. It was his glorious presence. That is the thing that, according to the Bible, is to set us apart. Because we're a sanctuary, right? So, let me ask you. What is to set us apart? Is it ultimately... Like, uh, is the biggest thing that's supposed to set us apart some, using some Hebrew words? Yeah. Or is it us doing Shabbat or doing some things from the Torah or wearing strings or, yeah. or whatever? I mean, th- those, things, those things are some of our identity markers and they're important, right? Messiah's restoring that. But according to this idea, like, what is the primary thing that's going to set us apart as a people? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit and it's the glory of God. So, like, ultimately, we are about the anointing of His Spirit and we are about the glory of God. And I pray that that will be our distinctive. I pray that that will be what sets us apart. Yeah, and all the other stuff's important, but this is the biggest thing. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.